1: I've
2: got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got some boulder dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsitating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and
3: I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. Sorry, Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve!
2: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio. Now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, my wife Tacy. Hello, Tacy. Hello. Um, this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you'd like to... a answer it on the air? You're too embarrassed to take it to your regular medical provider. Tough shit. Go somewhere. (laughs) Yep. See you later. Give us a call at 347 766 4323 That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show. Without talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Um, we're going to from now on work through the plugs a lot quicker than we normally did because we've now got ads now that we've moved over to this new platform there's ads before the show ads in the middle of the show and ads at the end
0: are these money making ads
2: they are um Ooh. <laughs> so so uh i don't want people to be too inundated with ads please check out our sponsors we appreciate that i'm going to um uh Direct you to stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs and any things that you're interested in uh, in, uh, uh, getting from Amazon or things that we talk about on this show. And if you're interested in getting a thumb drive from our show uh, that has all the shows up till now on it, it's 30 bucks. It's a 32 gig hard drive or uh, thumb drive. And right now you can get a weird medicine corona mask. That is not guaranteed to do anything but look cool. Uh, With your purchase of $30 and you go to uh, drsteve.com in the middle of the page, you'll see in red. uh, Click here to get a thumb drive with every shell on it.
0: It is not guaranteed to look cool. It looks cool as hell. It does not. It's cool as hell. It's terrible, but you should get one.
2: (laughs) You're terrible. Well... All right. Very good. Hey, Tace, Um yep. don't forget uh, Dr. Scott's website. It's simplyherbals.net. Someday Dr. Scott will return. I don't know when that's going to possibly be, but uh, uh, hopefully soon.
0: He's working on rearranging his schedule, he told me. Oh,
2: is he? Okay, yes. good. All right. Good. Well, good for him. Um, all right. Uh, we have a guest today. And uh, this is a very interesting guest. We've been talking about vaccines and we have some vaccine news that we're going to talk about later today. We are recording this on uh, Wednesday, August 12th, in case this gets replay. And now we sound stupid because the vaccine caused I am legend. But right now uh, we have with us Michael. Michael, who is a weird medicine listener, and uh, he is a recipient of an experimental vaccine. So, Michael, thanks for joining the show.
4: No problem. Um, before I go into that, I, I want to point something. I think this takes this is worth a minute, Dr. Steve. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. we had a little bit of a problem setting this up. In fact, uh, the first uh, time you had set the date and time and then you didn't show and then you had emailed me a few hours later and you said, are you free now? And I said four minutes later. I was free and I gave my phone number again. And then two hours later, you said, Oh, I just got this. And <laughs> well, at not... the time that you emailed me back and said, Are you free now? And I promptly responded. You were also <laughs> tweeting at the same time when you <laughs> called me. And I want, do you remember what you were tweeting?
2: No, I have no idea.
4: All right. Well, you were actually retweeting with a comment, a question. So you were helping someone medically. Mm-hmm. The person had reached out to you for help and they had reached out simply by saying, at weird, Metis, weird medicine, chunky cum. Any comments? <laughs> and, uh, well, that is way more important than talking to you. Of, yep, uh, coagulated semen. <laughs> I'll go in and advise him to clean his pipes maybe a little more often. That's but right. that's what I got bumped. <laughs> that's for. what I
2: did instead. Sorry about that. Uh, uh,
4: while you were off doing that. Well, at least so I just get one thing. thing let's out. get
2: one thing straight. It's semenogelin. That's how it's <laughs> properly pronounced. So anyway, but anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry yeah, about so. that. Yeah, it's um. <laughs> uh honestly i've not been as good as staying on my schedule and that's just because our schedules are so screwed up i mean you know for uh for 5 months my kids were just sitting here at home we had no schedule going on i was taking uh doing um office visits from from my house uh through telemedicine which was really a treat uh doing 15 minutes to 20 minutes of um of uh, Uh, you know, of tech support with, you know, little old ladies up in the mountains of Virginia going, well, honey, I don't know if I got a tablet. Am I supposed to swallow it? You know, so it was, uh, you know, yeah, it's not been a good, my most shining moment as far as being organized. So I apologize (laughs) for
4: that. I'm a practicing attorney. I'm home right now in the middle of the day working from home. We have a lot of court appearances from home and it is very difficult to even remember what day it is.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, I did a court appearance from home. I, I got... Uh, pulled before COVID nineteen happened, and my court date happened to be right in you know the middle of the lockdown, and so it was fun going to court via in Zoom. Hmm?
4: Are you in trouble? No, no, A little no, no. Bit.
2: Well, so, so I, I guess I can tell this story now. Uh, I well, I get to court, and the judge is my best friend's nephew. He's also an attorney, but it's his nephew, and I took him to Ozfest like when he was 16, and when he was 17, he had a party at his house, and he couldn't get all the people that showed up that weren't supposed to be there at his house, and I went over and, you know, with, with his uncle and said, hey, the cops are coming, you know, to get everybody out of there, and then here's this guy, you know, this guy is my judge, and he said, well, you know, do you want to plead guilty and get um, uh, driving school? I said, do I have a choice? You know, and he just kind of laughed. He said, well, you, I mean, you can go to court if you want to, but uh, you know, I, so I got absolutely no uh, uh, no consideration from him, given that you know <laughs> I saved his ass a couple of times. But anyway
4: they usually err on the side of oh, trying to, of course, eat, you know, so
2: yeah, but anyway, all right, well, vaccine, so, right? yeah, it was all through Zoom, so yeah, so tell us how you got into this vaccine, so you're in a clinical trial, is that right?
4: I am, I'm do in you, the Moderna uh, clinical trial of their mRNA vaccine, and this and, is phase um,
2: 3 or phase 2 now?
4: I'm a phase 3 candidate. Okay, so um, let's
2: explain to everybody, phase 3 is when you give it to thousands and thousands of people, what you're trying to do is tease out any very small, of Effects. Uh, so, if you have if you have a uh, an adverse effect that only affects one in ten thousand people, testing three hundred people isn't going to show that most of the time. So now they're looking at doing you know thirty thousand or more patients. Right, do you yeah, know the number? Do you know? And the I number? think
4: also uh, for efficacy, you need this many people out there uh, in hot and outbreak times right now to get this data as fast as you can.
2: Since you're not doing challenge trials where you give like they could have given Michael the vaccine and then a week later come in and uh, sprayed uh, SARS-CoV-2 up his nose. He's absolutely right. When you've got a penetrance at the worst of times, you know, if you're on a uh, cruise ship of only 17 percent, it only penetrated the Diamond Princess 17 percent. You're going to have to treat thousands and thousands of people to, to see that's so also a small effect of preventing people from getting the disease or preventing them from from going uh, to the hospital if they do get it or preventing them from dying if they do go to the hospital. So anyway, you're right on all accounts.
4: So in the very beginning, so I also own a business that I have a factory partner in China. And so I've been kind of following this from the get go because we were affected over there. And then right as that was kind of getting resolved, we started having the lockdowns and outbreaks here. So I started Kind of obsessing with COVID stuff, COVID data, uh, emailing Doctor Steve, random stuff. Oh, and did you then, really? <laughs> uh, and then, uh, which one of the early things I emailed you was uh, speculation of a coronavirus crossover type, uh, immunity type thing. And this was probably in the end of March, and that looks to be yep. starting to flush out a little.
1: Yep. So yep. I
4: took. Um, I was taking an interest, but I've never taken a flu vaccine. I don't really get sick very often. I'm a 40 year old male, uh, and. Uh, so I didn't wasn't really afraid of it. But in the interest of curiosity and, and you know, I was following the vaccine development. I knew what uh, they were doing in vaccines. Uh, so then one day I'm on Twitter and there was an update from a local news source that kind of had a daily COVID update. And then in the headline, it said vaccine trial or local or something like that. Oh, okay. So I read it. And at the end, they said they were going to be doing a vaccine trial here and it had a contact information. I emailed the contact and the doctor who's running the study emailed me and called me the same night. This was probably they started in uh, end of July. Uh, this was maybe a month prior. She said we haven't started yet, but we're getting names. Okay. So then a few weeks prior to that, um, they called me to schedule. So um, they set up the appointment. Uh, and uh, initially, on the very first contact, that ver- first day, she sent me an email with the consent form in it, just a generic consent. And okay. at that point, I knew it was the Moderna vaccine. So I right. didn't know initially what it was. Did
2: you have to sign an NDI at the same time? NDA I mean... NDA, no. I mean-
4: um, the, the agreement discusses confidentiality and it basically says you are free to talk to people about it. They don't really, it discourages like, you know, public news things, but, um, okay. you know, it doesn't out, out, and out prohibit it and there's no, um, okay. confidentiality agreement. Um, so then they have, I have the appointment. I go in and they basically do like a light physical kind of poke around on you, uh, check your vitals. Um, and then they take some blood, and then they do a COVID test, the the very uncomfortable uh, nasopharyngeal test, and then then they do the injection. And so the injection, I mean, I don't know what I got. Uh, Definitely something went in, I felt something going in, and then uh, 30 minutes to observe you after. So you sit there for 30 minutes at the same time, they're setting you up with this e-diary system, and it's a system that they basically that first you know week or so thereafter of each injection, they really want to know what's going on. And so the diary is an app on your phone, and that first week you're getting prompts two, three times a day that basically have a series of questions. Okay. They give you a thermometer, they give you a, a, a little tape measure. So if you do have any redness or anything around it, they would want you to measure it. Um, so this is all kind of built in, and they give you a schedule that's for two years. And the two-year schedule has these e-diary uh, commitments in it, and it has seven visits that you have to go over two years. Uh, and uh, the, obviously the first couple are for obvious reasons and then they, the later ones are likely for continued blood testing and things like that. So um, today I'm 15 days out. At, so at the time, no, no side effects at all, no redness. I actually expected, I usually do get redness and uh, injections and, and a little bit of pain. They gave it to me in the muscle on the upper, upper arm Uh, and uh, no redness, no swelling, nothing, uh, not at the time and not after, no side effects, anything. I've had nothing.
2: Okay, so I'm looking at their structure. It says trial volunteers will receive two intramuscular injections 28 days apart. Participants will be randomly assigned one-to-one to to receive either two 100-microgram injections of mRNA one two seven three or two shots of a saline placebo. Okay, so it's possible you got the placebo then. The yeah. trial is blinded, so the investigators and the participants will not know who is assigned to which group. Okay, um, yeah, okay. and then uh, they so you can't go today. running around going, "Hoo hoo," you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm immune. N- no, you don't know.
4: Um, and like I said, I, I wasn't I'm not particularly worried about it. it, it um, this is more of an experiment for me. In fact, I, I emailed you an, uh, an article Bloomberg uh, did yesterday about Moderna and the mRNA vaccines and the history. And it, it's really, really uh, interesting. Uh, and I think you should put it in the uh, if this goes on YouTube, put it in the description because it provides okay. a lot of background. And on just the last 10 years, what they've learned and you kind of realize how little we know when you read this stuff. Yes. Um and another interesting thing about the vet, so the NIH was saying the other Is that day, you or is they, that me? It's
2: um, me. Sorry. That's you? Okay. Sorry.
4: Oh, yeah, it's okay. The <laughs> The NIH was discussing the, uh, last week that in the next month they're going to be putting out a vaccine priority list, and the quote was, not everyone is going to like it. But uh, the article had an interesting little uh, fact in it that the uh, the director said that of the people that uh, would have priority the people who got the placebo groups in any vaccine would be a priority because quote we they, owe them
2: i agree um, with that 100 um,
4: i i don't even know if i would take it because I, I again i don't care but i just never really occurred to me that there would be that viewpoint so it was interesting to see that yeah
2: no i think that's um people who have s- stood up and uh, taking the risk of uh, helping us get to uh, you know advance the science on this, I think they should get it first. So if they decode you and uh, you were in the placebo group, I absolutely would support you getting it first if you wanted it. If you don't want it, that's, that's up to you, but at least offering it to you. Uh, uh, I, I wonder I, I guess, if... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go, sorry. sorry. No, it's I okay. was just
4: going to say, I guess to finish up that process, that thought, then if I have um, any symptoms or think I've been exposed, I'm supposed to contact them and then they, I would go down there, they would test me, uh, and then what I don't know is, Dr. Steve, if I were in the placebo group, for example, and I tested positive, I wonder if at that point they would just terminate me from the study, because I'm kind of useless. Well, that's interesting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I I think so. I think that your participation in the study would be complete. As far as the science is concerned, they may continue to monitor you for a year, but um, they won't know if you're in the placebo group until they decode it. Now, they will have an independent monitor, That's watching this. And if they see a statistically significant difference, if they're still administering doses, if they Mm -hmm. see a statistically significant difference that makes giving the placebo now unethical, then they'll stop the trial. But I think the way they're going to do this is just vaccinate a whole bunch of people pretty much, you know, in the same very close time period and then, you know, and then watch them over time. So that won't be an issue.
4: What's your take on this? Because so I read an article yesterday. So this study is supposed to be 30,000. And right now, uh, as of the first two weeks, I guess they had 5,000 enrolled with the expectation that they would have 30,000 by September. So so this article was saying that it would be impossible to have a vaccine by Election Day because it used this September starting point, basically, (laughs) for the timelines, not acknowledging you're building thousands up starting in mid-July. What do you think the numbers would have to be? Let's say we have 10,000 people by uh, mid-August out there with this, uh, and by, and by the 1st of September, they have both doses. And then you have a month in, and let's say out of those 10,000, you had 750 positives, and it's heavily slanted. Let's say it's 90, right. 10, 95, 10.
2: Right. Do you think they move? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, The thing is, you know, Russia skipped phase three for their vaccine. And we've got a question about it in a minute.
4: I think it is a large phase three in disguise, though, if you kind of that's what it it. is.
2: Uh, You're exactly right. They they're just giving it to people. And yes, they'll follow them. uh, So uh, you could look at it that way. But um, it's really, um, you know, been approved for use. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a phase three slash phase four. And if people don't remember these things and they don't listen every week, you know, phase one's where you make sure it doesn't kill people, you give it to 10, 15 people or 40 people. And then phase two, you give it to maybe 300 to see if it seems to work and doesn't kill people. Then phase three is thousands of people up to, you know, 30,000 people. And then phase four is post-marketing. So I, r- what doing is doing is you know, basically phase three I, slash four. For I'm just
4: curious what you know because uh, Dr. Fauci has said that they would accept a vaccine with as low as 50% uh, sure. uh, efficacy. So if you got early data that was like, let's say in the 90, where you where you thought, well, this could shake out a little more, but yeah. there's such a gap. I, I just wonder, at that point, if that would just be That's something That's a policy would...
2: question, but yeah, I, I mean, if the science is there, I wouldn't be against it, particularly if the uh, independent monitor saw that it was uh, highly statistically significant in favor of uh, uh, of the vaccine. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I just wonder if we need to explain to people what this Moderna vaccine is, because we've been talking about it a little bit on the show. It's fascinating. It's not like any other vaccine that I've ever uh, encountered. Although I do understand that the veterinarians use some RNA vaccines, but um, this um, what what they were looking at is this spike immunogen. So the spike immunogen is the protein that this the SARS-CoV-2 uh, um, uh, virus uses to attach itself to human cells, and it uses this ACE-2 receptor. It doesn't, really, that's not apropos to this discussion so much. <clears throat> and normally what you would do is you would synthesize that protein and then just inject it into people and their bodies would make immune responses to it. The problem with doing it that way is you get this huge load of, of, um, uh, of antigen and then it just goes away and it the, the one of the hypotheses is is that that's the reason why you don't get lifelong immunity because it doesn't act like a like a um an infection because you know an infection starts low and then grows and then the immune system hits it and it takes time and then it shrinks over time and the immune system may actually have a mechanism to sort of see that bell curve and uh uh it may help it develop longer lasting immunity so this Moderna, their real name is Mode RNA. You know, their name isn't Moderna. We we call them Moderna now, but they started out as Mode RNA. And their vaccine is actually a piece of messenger RNA, which is instructions to the human cells on how to make the spike protein it's themselves. So you inject the messenger RNA, it inculcates itself into the cells. The mm-hmm. cell's mechanisms then turn around and make... This uh, spike immunogen uh, called s two p and then the body uh, recognizes it as a foreign protein and then mounts an immune response and when you do it that way, it acts more like a, an actual like an actual infection and it may give us better immunity so it 's very interesting now you I could kind of like you, you could code. you could spam this this um, uh, um, study by the way by going and getting a um, Getting uh, antibody, antibody I test. Yeah,
4: I, I've considered it. Did they tell
2: um, you not to do that?
4: No, no, they. I don't think so. There's a lot of paperwork <laughs> they gave me at the end and, and uh, I didn't read it all. Lawyers are the worst at reading things. Um, <laughs> Doctors so aren't look, any better. I look at it like a computer code, like if the virus is a complete code and then you, there's this part of that code that kind of tells your body what to do. That that part of that code tells your body how to make the thing to interact with that. Well, there's no need to send the whole code in. They're just sending in like a piece of this
2: code to. Oh God, you don't want to send the whole code in, (laughs) because then you'd be making viruses.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, what's interesting—that's that Bloomberg article. I really recommend it because they this all this technology has really been identified and studied in the last ten years, and really, really much in the last five years, and. Moderna and the principals involved in them, they identified these, uh, the potential in these mRNA uh, vaccines and the technology to be able to scale up quickly because you're not using live virus. You can right. do things. It's, it's, it's synthetic. They can fabricate it. And they identified that this could be a pandemic solution. Mm-hmm. And they actually came up with a pandemic plan. And then in January, when they learned, Dr. Steve, about this, they activated that plan. And it said that when they saw the China sequence on January 10th. Yep. They met for a week straight. In a week, they identified <laughs> the, the basically the uh, code that yep. they felt would do the trick. That's amazing.
2: Week. I have to give yeah, them this.
4: It's really amazing. Oh,
2: we'll give them one of these, too.
0: Give yourself a bill!
2: <laughs> so anyway, yeah, no, I, I'm very impressed by this. and Yeah, it really is easier to make strands of mRNA than it is to uh, make a bunch of proteins. And... Uh, and, and but anyway this yeah this is awesome and uh yeah i you know i we hope you're okay and you don't have any adverse <laughs> effects i really appreciate you oh oh i i i have to go mike because i have to take a call on a guy that's got uh, chunky uh semen he call he's calling in I yeah
4: know. there's you much more important going. Um, <laughs> i'll keep you informed dr steve and if anything changes uh i'll let you know i'll keep you in the loop all right
2: okay man no i was that was fascinating keep please do keep uh, let us know if anything changes okay or if right. you hear hey, anything thank cool, you. thanks. Okay. Thanks. Okay. See, you, Mike. All right. Well, there's Mike. How
1: Very about that? Very interesting. How
2: about that? Cool guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Uh, he was supposed to be on last week, and I just blew it. Oh. <clears throat> what What he doesn't know is I forgot.
4: Oh. <laughs> I
2: forgot to put him on the agenda, and if it's not on the agenda in here, I just don't do it. Okay. And so, uh, and then he's like, "Hey, I waited around for you. I'll, you know, I, I'm a busy attorney, <clears throat> and um." I said, well, okay, well, let me just go in the studio right now and record it. And I said, are you busy? Are you free now? Just like he said. He says four minutes. I didn't get that in four minutes. I hung around for a little bit, didn't see him, and then went off and did something else. And then I got back that night and so I'm saying, yeah, here's my phone number. So we just kind of played tag for a while. But uh, I'm glad that worked out. I did have him on the agenda this time.
0: Very interesting.
2: Yeah, yep. So there you go. Um, Do you you have some things to talk about, right, Tase?
0: Yeah, just a few. Um, I guess this is a good segue into Putin Putin. and his new coronavirus. Yes. And how his daughter got it. Yep. Got the um, not coronavirus, coronavirus Mm, vaccine vaccine. and how his daughter has received it. But um, yeah. Oh, and how it's called Putniks. Sputnik Five. That's a pretty cool name. Yeah, that's pretty cool.
2: Okay, so yeah, they were. Uh, it was developed by the Moscow-based. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this in Russian. Gamaleya Institute, or Jamalia. I don't know. I, Russian is not one of the languages I know anything about. And uh, they did use some uh, uh, Russian investment money, and they. They did uh, a bunch of human trials but didn't publish data and didn't even begin the Phase 3 stage, which usually precedes, you know, uh, approval, until they announced it on Tuesday. And they announced that a Phase 3 trial involving more than 2,000 people in Russia and several Middle Eastern and Latin American countries had begun. And usually they do that in tens of thousands of people. And then um, they – let me see. What did they do? Then they uh, then they went ahead and approved it. They approved the vaccine for public use. So what do we know about it? Um, I don't know much about it. I know that it uses an adenovirus. And I wish that we could get my buddy um, uh, Greg Poland on the phone right now. But we'll get him to, to talk about it. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find anything online about this. They're saying, you know, this is from CNN.com. How did Russia pull this off so quickly? They enacted a law which eliminated the needs for phase three vaccine trial before approval. So that was how they pulled it off so quickly. They did phase one and phase two mm-hmm. and then went, OK, we're, we're putting this out there. Because Russia was third in the world for a while. It's now fourth. And um, but I can't seem to find how this vaccine works on this article. Nice job, CNN.
0: <laughs> well, good. nobody really cares about that. I mean... What? No, nah, nobody cares about that. <laughs> but I think it's... Okay, well, I I think, okay, well, I care. I think what's what more important is... Yeah, yeah. I think what's more important is what are, you, what are you missing out on if you miss out on phase three? Lots of stuff, yeah, right?
2: Okay, why don't you talk about that? Because you know something about phase three trials.
0: I mean, well... Do I? I mean...
2: Well, yeah I mean, you said that with so much conviction that you miss out on lots well, of stuff you so have to otherwise
0: they wouldn't be there. I mean, you miss okay. out on side effects and efficacy yes, and right. all all kinds of things like that
2: yeah um
0: I guess you've got nothing to say
2: <laughs> all right no, <laughs> no 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 no'm like, <laughs> you're funny uh i'm I was hoping you would talk while I was trying to find some information on what this vaccine is based on but the yes you're right phase three is there for a reason it's there to determine overall efficacy which as mike talked about is hard to do in a virus when you've only got you know one percent of your population that's got it It maybe as high as 15 but some of those are a vast majority of those may be asymptomatic so as far as cases you're looking at one to two percent of the population, so how many do you have to treat before you can prove that one to two percent of your of your test subjects didn't get it? You know you've got to treat a crapload of people. So um, I am I, I'm striking out on this. I know that it's based on some adenovirus structure, and that's all I know. so all right, uh, we'll find out more for next week. How about that? because I'm sure this will be in the news for quite some time. Okay. All right, what else you got?
0: Um 107-year-old New Jersey woman who beat Spanish flu survives COVID-19.
2: So she's 107. So when was she born, Tase? Let me see. 20, oh, uh what would, what <laughs> uh, oh, uh, 1913, right?
0: I, I mean, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So, she was born in we're, we're well, saying
2: 1913. Okay, so 1913, I'll do Howard Stern math. +7 is 1920, +100 would be 2020. Okay. Right? So yeah, so she was born in 13, so she would have been 5 when the Spanish flu hit. So she was probably old enough to remember it. My dad survived it too, but he was only 2. So that back then, by the way, it was terrifying for parents because the kids were really vulnerable to this one. You know, the the uh pandemic of 1918 so go ahead
0: that's scary <clears throat> so that's all I have to say about that
2: well okay so she she beat the 1918 pandemic and she is still alive during this one there's still time for it to get her right
0: well it says she survived it
2: oh she had it
0: yeah she had it Oh my and god. Then also uh, it says that she beat the Spanish flu so she so had she that. had it as yeah. well mm-hmm. oh my
2: god so okay she's
0: well tough. give yourself a bill Goodness. Okay. And then bad news for New Zealand. Um, everybody really thought that they had beaten it. Um, yeah. They reinstra- reinstate restrictions after first locally transmitted case oh. happens in 102 days.
2: They were so, they had it. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going out, going to movies and going to concerts and congregating because they had beaten it. So some dumbass. Brought Mm -hmm. it into the country, yeah. Because, yeah. Oh well. There you go. Well, they're gonna they're gonna lock it down again. What? So this is what you do when you're in a small island country like that, and you've only got a couple of cases, is you contract trace the crap out of them. You can put all your resources. On contact tracing, those two or three cases, figure out who they met, isolate everybody. You just have to do m- micro martial law for those people and, um, and make them uh, uh, isolate themselves for two weeks. And then you can pretty much uh, knock this thing out of, the, out of your uh, uh, wheelhouse and then uh, go back to having fun again. So good good for them, though. It, they, this will be a lot easier for them. For us, Absolutely. when you have 4 million ca- total cases and however many active cases, let's say it's half that or a, even a quarter of that, it's really hard to, contract, to contact trace that many people. Mm-hmm. So we would have limited resources trying to contact trace an overwhelming number of people whereas they have overwhelming number of people that can contact trace a small number. So they should be able to beat this pretty quickly.
0: And then mm-hmm. on today's show, I saw <laughs> <laughs>
2: you, in the Today I mean,
0: show. yeah, well, I mean, you pick one, right. Yep. And you stick with it. That's right. So if you use e-cigs and conventional cigarettes in the last 30 days, you are seven times more likely to be diagnosed with COVID. If you vape, you are five times more likely to be diagnosed with COVID.
2: What in the hell is that
0: about? Part of what they said was, um, and and uh,
2: they're more likely to develop symptoms.
0: Well, they looked at a lot of young people and how people like to share their devices and Uh, things like that.
2: Well, stop doing that.
0: Yeah, stop doing that.
2: That's interesting. Uh, yeah, they're saying here, I'm looking at Stanford School of Medicine's uh, news website, not just a small increase in risk that young people may believe their age protects them from contracting the virus, but they will not experience symptoms of COVID-19. The data show this isn't true among those who vape. The Study tells us pretty clearly that youth are using vapes or are dual using, i.e. cigarettes and e-cigarettes, or elevated risk, it's not just a small increase in risk, it's a big one. So let's look how they did this. Um, they collected data via online surveys, so not the greatest data. And they were completed by 4,351 participants, aged 13 to 24. If our kids, if I found them vaping, I'd there would be a problem.
0: Military school, <laughs> for sure.
2: The researchers recruited a sample of participants that were evenly divided between those who had used e SIGs and those who had never used nicotine products also included approximately equal number of people in, in different age groups. And they answered questions about whether they had ever used a vaping device, as well as whether they had vaped or smoked in the last 30 days. Then they were asked if they had experienced COVID-19 symptoms, received a test for COVID-19 or received a positive diagnosis. Now, what were the symptoms they asked for? because if you're smoking you're more likely to be coughing and if they counted that then that then I'd cry bs on that. Okay, well, okay, it says results were adjusted for confounding factors such as age, sex, lgbtq status, race, ethnicity, mother's level of education, body mass index, compliance with shelter in place orders, rate of covid diagnosis in the states and st-. okay. So uh, I, I would like to see the survey just to see if there is a chance that bias mm-hmm. could have crept in. But it could be that if you're vaping, you're less likely to develop asymptomatic COVID nineteen. That you're going to end up having symptoms because you already have some inflammation in your exactly. lungs. That would be my guess.
0: And um, the Today Show is not big on giving limitations of studies that they yeah of course talk about
2: yeah. So uh, it, I would so that would be a hypothesis. And it would be testable. That if you vape, you're less likely. You're you have the same chances of getting it as anybody else, but you're less likely to develop asymptomatic. And so you could do that with a nice prospective cohort of of teenagers, and you follow them over time, and uh, doing antibody tests and continually testing them and see. And if the number of people that actually get it, let's say it's both groups have fifteen percent. Of the groups get SARS-CoV-2 infections, but in this vaping group, only five percent of them were asymptomatic, and in the other group, the ninety-nine percent were asymptomatic. That's then that's your answer. That's how you would have to test that okay. uh, that particular hypothesis.
0: Another um, article that I found it's on Facebook. So it's hell true, yeah, guys. you
2: know it's right.
0: It's from the Washington Examiner, and um, they they did a poll. Um, which shows that Americans have a wildly overstated view of COVID-19's impact
2: with respect to what's really going on. Okay, I don't know the Washington Examiner. I'm going to Google their political leaning and see, just for fun.
0: Okay. I believe Uh, it's right, but but, I may be wrong. Okay,
2: yeah, widely described as conservative. Okay, Okay. so that makes sense, given this uh, this sort of—
0: Well, and it comes from a source on Facebook that— It does make sense. So, the poll question they asked was How many people in your country have had COVID 19? Americans answered 20%, but in reality, it's 1%.
2: Yeah, right, that's right.
0: So, another question So, they were
2: overstating the severity of the disease. Okay, gotcha. How many
0: people in your country have died from it? Mm -hmm. Americans answered 9%. Reality is 0.04%. Right. So, are we blowing all of this out of proportion?
2: Uh, yes and no. Here's the thing, that 1% is still bad. Yeah. You know, if you have 350 million people, then you're looking at 3.5 million people. That's a lot of people. So 1% is still bad. If we had 1% of people who got this virus die, right, and 60 million people get it, then you're looking at, what, well, let me see, 1% would be 600 million people, or no, 600,000 wow. people. 600,000 mm-hmm. people dead, right? So, um, so it's a lot, a lot of people. So even though the percentage is small, the absolute numbers are still mind-bogglingly large.
0: So the original poster's point was why are we restricting? That's why.
2: That's why, okay. because 1%. So, yes, huge. Because of, I think, their media coverage and f- general fear and anxiety, people are amplifying the numbers. Because people are generally bad at statistics. But they're also bad the other way, where you go, well, it's only 1%. Well, it's only, not, only 1%. Yes, 99% of people uh, who get this won't die. But the fact that 1% will, if we allowed this to just... F- run out freely because people who get influenza will be, you know, 30 to 60 million a year will get influenza. So, uh, and that's only, you know, yeah, only one fifth of the population, right? Mm -hmm.
1: So
2: that means four fifths aren't getting it. But still influenza is nothing to be laughed about. And then we're talking about something that is maybe ten times more deadly because the the mortality rate for influenza about point one percent usually uh there are certain strains that can be much higher than that, but on general so this is even if this is as low as one percent case mortality it's ten times worse than influenza so um we're talking about ten times more hospitalizations, ten times more more uh people dying stressing so the
0: health community that's et why yes. So
2: I mean, we're I I can't say a lot about it, but um, in our general area where where we are, the hospital beds that are designated for coronavirus patients is dwindling. It's not you know, they're, they're, they're not gone, but I've watched that number march down now. I'm also seeing the number of cases start to drop again. And so we should see as the cases drop, overall, the hospitalizations will lag by about two weeks. Then you'll see the hospitalizations dropping. But the number of people in the hospital, some of those people are in the hospital for up to 50 days. Mm -hmm. So that takes a long time. It takes a couple of months before you can totally clear the hospitals out. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm. It absolutely does. So... Anyway, that's all I have. That's
2: all you have? Okay, good. Those were good, Tase. Well, we have a bunch of regular medical questions out there, so good. you want to answer some? No, Absolutely. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. That's your buddy uh, Ron Bennington, Tase. So let's see what we've got here. And you and he know, Ron, it, he never says anything uh, incorrect, in my opinion, anyway. And the funniest thing and the most profound uh-huh. thing he ever said was, And we were talking about that this week. And he says, I don't see color. I only
5: see things in black and white. (laughs) It's
0: The the funniest thing I think he's ever said.
5: (laughs) All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way. And you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully...
1: Here we go. Casey, can I talk to your husband? Hey, I was listening to the Bennington
2: show. It's one of those once every. Well, six- no, speaking of Bennington, and speaking of Stacy Deloach, everybody, here's the problem with Stacy, and it's not really a problem. I have to play his calls. He's got like three of them this week, but they're all stellar calls. Ones that I actually, you know, I pick them based on ones that I want to answer, and uh, they're all good calls. So anyway, uh, you're going to get a Stacy Deloach uh, day today. They're so. talking to
1: about- Fezzy was complaining about his cardiologist wearing a Ohio State mask. And I got to thinking, you hear people leaving, quitting doctors because of personality conflicts or different reasons all the time, and complaining about their medical care professionals. Is it ethically okay for a doctor to stop seeing a patient because of a personality conflict? I've always wondered about that. Thank you. Bye, Tayshay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: maniac. Um so the answer is not really just my responsibility is to my patient and if we don't get along I need to try to do what I can to get that to forge a functional doctor patient relationship now. If we can't truly get along then that's going to be impossible. They're not going to have it's because they don't have confidence in me or there's some other, there's a conflict there that is impeding my ability to care for them. I can't just fire them, fire them, but I can say, look, I don't think this is working. I I really think that, you know, this might be better for you if you found another provider, and I'll be happy to care for you for the next 30 days. But, um, and in a situation like that, I don't see why they wouldn't agree. But if they said, oh, hell no, I want to stay here. Well, that's like we got to work together to figure out a way that we can communicate uh, so, that, so that you're not getting angry at me or that we can get things done. Mm-hmm. OK, um, if the patient is a danger to the community, I can fire them that's or dismiss them from my practice. That's usually because they're diverting their drugs or they're selling them or something like that. And if they're non-adherent, you can do it for that. You know, someone that just is killing themselves despite all of the things that you've tried to do, you can. Although I think that just because they don't do what you tell them to do, that's not a reason to to get rid of, you know, to dismiss somebody from your practice. I think that's actually unethical. But, you know, ethics isn't calculus. So um, it, our, what we're commanded to do is to do no harm. And to have beneficence, in other words, do good. So we're supposed to do good and also do no harm. And um, if you can do both of those things, even though you got a patient you don't particularly like very much, then no, you, you can't really fire him for that reason. Yeah. Okay.
0: Exactly. If you've done a good job, and that means you've done a good job, you know? Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right.
0: And some people you just can't get along with.
2: Yeah, and most of the time they'll drift no. away on their own. You know, they'll just find somebody else. But uh, you have to do your best to take care of your patients at all times. I have a silly question for you. Oh, well, here, here you, you go. Stacey DeLow, everybody.
1: Not official reporter. Coughing CPR. Yes. I know it's floated around the Internet for 20 years about if you think you are having a heart attack, can you cough? Make yourself cough very hard, very vigorously, kind of up the pressure in your heart to keep oxygen supplied to your brain. Now, obviously, if somebody's falling over from a heart attack and they're unconscious, it won't do any good. Is there any truth
2: to that or is there any facts behind it? Like all things like this, there's some truth. You ever heard this one?
0: No, that's a really good question. Yeah.
2: So it's been going around it's not a heart attack it's an arrhythmia so uh if you had if you were conscious and you were having an arrhythmia, it is possible that you could cough. You know how they tell you if you got somebody that's got um uh an arrhythmia and you're doing c p r and you can't shock them that do the chest thump mm-hmm. that actually can stimulate electrical activity in the heart. And can cause it to uh, to beat. So, uh, if you had an arrhythmia, you could cough over and over again, to in an attempt to get enough blood flow to the brain. And it may even um, it's not impossible if you did it exactly right that you could terminate certain arrhythmias. So, um, uh, but cough CPR, which is what he's talking about, is um, where people. Uh, A conscious, responsive person coughs forcefully and repetitively to maintain enough blood flow to the brain to remain conscious for a few seconds. This is from the American Heart Association until the arrhythmia is treated. Blood flow is maintained by increased pressure in the chest that occurs during forceful coughs. This has been mislabeled cough CPR. It's not a form of traditional resuscitation. It's not taught in CPR courses because it's not useful in the pre-hospital setting because it really is only going to work for a couple of seconds. Yeah, exactly. Now, what I think is more interesting is we have successfully in the hospital, back particularly back in the 80s before we had a lot of different medications, stopped certain arrhythmias, You know, uh, abnormal rhythms of the heart using a type of coughing. And this is where you have someone do a Valsalva maneuver, which is where, like, you're taking a dump, right? And you're pushing it out real hard. And you push and you push and you're increasing the intrathoracic pressure, right? The pressure inside the thorax, you're increasing it. And then you have the person release it explosively. So I will do it now for your amusement. Like that, okay? And when you do that every once in a while... Their arrhythmia will terminate. Okay. And uh, we also, this is, this is goofy. There's a thing called the diving reflex, and you can terminate some arrhythmias that way as well. The diving reflex is this mammalian reflex that um, whales use. When they go underwater and they go deep, it slows their heart down, Right. So their heart will only beat like one or two times a minute when they're deep, deep, deep in the water. But they don't die from it because their whole metabolism slows down. And you can induce that in humans, too. Humans have a diving reflex. That may be why some people can survive like falling under the ice for 40 minutes. You know, it's usually kids that do that because their body temperature will, will decrease fast enough. But anyway, so... I, um, let's say I heard about a case where an intern and their senior resident went in and saw someone that was sitting up, but it had an arrhythmia and they were very stable said, let's try a diving reflex. So they took a bucket of, uh, like a, a big basin, filled it up with ice water. Had the guy hold his breath and then pushed his head into the ice water and had him hold it there as long as he could. Right. And then when he came up, his arrhythmia went away. And they successfully used the diving reflex to um, uh, terminate this guy's arrhythmia without using any drugs. Now, how crazy is that? Now, I would not do that in a place where you have access to drugs and other equipment that will successfully stop an arrhythmia, but it is just sort of a uh, cool, maybe wilderness thing for you to do if you out in the, if you're on alone. And on you,
0: Alone, our new favorite show. Oh, my
2: God. That show, that is the—I've never been—okay, so it, completely taking a left turn. So tense watching a reality show. But Alone, season six, and now we're on season seven, where they put people in the Arctic and just say, see you later. And the last one to survive gets wins.
0: What about the guy who killed a moose— yeah. And still ended up starving. Yep. I mean- No
2: spoilers. We won't say what happened. He did okay. But yeah, he was starving mm-hmm. because he was uh, only eating m- moose meat and it uh, doesn't have any fat in it or carbohydrates. So he was on an ultra low carb diet and he wasn't getting enough nutrients out of that. He was getting enough calories, but not enough nutrients. And he kept losing weight and um, he was really going downhill. So it's really interesting. You have to get enough fat. And he finally caught a fish, and it had all kinds of fat in it. But he was fighting two wolverines that were stealing his food;
0: stole all his stuff. But all he the killed
2: time. he uh, spoil, little spoiler alert. He killed one of them with a hatchet, which I am going to allow because it he was it was that or be killed.
0: I mean, the, nothing but badasses on this show. Yeah,
2: it's incredible. It's incredible. I am not. A, I would never publicly say that i watch any reality show but alone we so
0: do we so do right
2: right we Mm -hmm. do it's true it's true and uh but alone i can recommend
0: we gotta watch that one on netflix too
2: which one is that
0: the one where um if they have any sexual encounters it takes down the amount of money they win oh
2: yeah yeah. I hope they just end up at zero, and they're all just screwing. <laughs> yeah, we've got to <laughs> because watch Because they have to. You
0: know? to oh, there we go. <laughs> I should have brought that up. Right. I'm sorry. All right. That's all right.
2: Okay, doke. Let's see here. All right. Let's do this one. We've got a little bit of time left.
3: Hey, Doc. This is Zach from Oaky City. Um, love your show. You already have a great show, but I just wanted to say that yeah, uh, your wife is just – Added another level of greatness. Um, oh, oh, wow! Uh, you're very funny, and I hope that uh, Dr. Steve there can talk you into staying on after all of this Corona. He did not listen over. to last week's um, show, obviously. So,
2: <laughs> what? Why?
0: Because it was so boring. It just went on and yeah, on uh, and on. Well, and this
2: on. one's better.
3: I hope it got gonna
2: talk about alone.
3: I Thanks, mean, guys. A, Thanks for the laughs. I appreciate it. Um, my first question is: How was your vacation? <laughs> um, you guys uh, talked a lot about going on it, and then you came back, and I didn't really hear anything about
2: it. Did we not talk about our vacation? I don't know. We may not have. Uh, I'm, we only have a couple of minutes left, and he actually has a question. So if we don't okay. get to it, we'll it was great. we'll do it first next time. It was so great. COVID nineteen vacation was awesome. Mm-hmm. We'd go to the beach. We didn't have to go. Well, it's four thirty. We need to go to you know to ba- back and get cleaned up because we got to get to the restaurant by six. We just stayed out there until we felt like coming in, and then I cooked or you know or well I'll mm-hmm. say we cooked and uh it was fantastic it was so fantastic that I had decided I was going to work 10 more years I'm not going to that that vacation made me decide that when my youngest son Beck is, who has a better radio voice than me by the way when he uh graduates from high school I'm done and we're going to retire and that's 3 years from now and it's the clock is ticking taste.
0: Clock is ticking.
2: And you're going to be stuck with that. That me.
0: means I get to quit, too, right?
2: Yeah, of course. I'm not yeah. going to retire by myself. That sounds awesome. All right. But anyway, let's see what the rest of his question is. Let's see here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
3: show on Faction, but uh, I didn't hear it on the podcast. So just wondered about that. My medical question, Dr. Steve, is... Uh, I uh, suffer from chronic uh, acid reflux and heartburn. Um, I've been taking an over-the-counter uh, uh, acid reducer for a few years now, and I'm just wondering if um, scientists and doctors know uh, of any adverse effects of long-term use for, for acid reducers. So uh, thanks again, guys. Love your show.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, this is an excellent question. So I I emailed him back, or I texted him back. And he—because there are different acid reducers, and he is using omeprazole, which is a proton pump inhibitor, which is really interesting because proton pump inhibitors inhibit protons, obviously, hence the name. But protons are quantum—they're quantum objects, right? It's a three quarks bound together, and it obeys quantum physics rules. And how in the hell— Natural systems figured out how to manipulate protons before humans even knew what protons were. We can barely manipulate them now. It is quite incredible when you think about it, Hmm. you know. So protons, naked protons, are uh, hydrogen ions, which are, um, you know, that's where acid comes from. You've got uh, hydrogen uh, or uh, hydrochloric acid is... Hydrogen, which is positively charged, and chlorine, which is negatively charged. And that naked proton is what causes acidity. And um, so they have – I'm going to read from Mayo Clinic Proceedings because this is the definitive answer as far as I'm concerned. That PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, have had an encouraging safety profile. And then there were some recent studies – Regarding, Well, let me stop paraphrasing. Let me just read what it says. Recent studies regarding the long-term use of PPI medications have noted potential adverse effects, including risk of factors, pneumonia, uh, clostridium difficile, uh, n- diarrhea, which is an infectious diarrhea, causes pseudomembranous colitis, uh, hypomagnesemia, which is low magnesium, vitamin B12 deficiency, chronic kidney disease, and dementia. These emerging data have led to subsequent investigations to assess these potential risks in patients receiving long-term PPI therapy. and However, most of the published evidence is inadequate to establish a definite association between PPI use and the risk for development of serious adverse effects. Hence, when clinically indicated, PPIs can be prescribed at the lowest effective dose for symptom control, and that would include long-term. So I'm on long-term PPI. I'm aware of these things. Um, I'm on the lowest effective dose right now. I've got myself down to 15 milligrams of um, Dexland Soprazole or one of those. And, um, you know, it's doing very well. And I, the safety profile is adequate for me to feel com- comfortable that I can take this long-term. And there isn't... Uh, As Mayo Clinic Proceedings is not a crummy journal. This is a journal of record for uh, uh, not only uh, thought leaders, but top researchers to publish in. So uh, I feel pretty good about that statement as far as PPIs are concerned. So talk to your provider. See if you're on the lowest effective dose. So a lot of people are on 60 milligrams of stuff or 30 milligrams of stuff that could maybe even get down to a lower dose. Cut it in half uh, to, from 60 to 30. I went from 60 to 30 to 15. So and I'm feeling pretty good. So there you go. All right. So anyway, um, I hope that answers your question. And uh, but as always, talk with your healthcare provider. Tase, it's been a delight being here with you today as always, and I uh, hope you'll be here forever now. Mm. We can't forget Rob <laughs> That was an, not, a, not a, oh boy, Steve, I hope I can, can I? <laughs> we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes. It's more That was more like a, well, that's interesting that you feel that way kind of answer. Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Kumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul offcharsky. Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, the great Rob Bartlett, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel series, Channel uh, 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, On Demand, and other times at Jim McClure's Pleasure. Uh, A big shout-out to my niece, Holly, who enjoyed her shout-out the other day. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Uh, Shout-out to Martha from Arkansas. Uh, Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Thanks, Taisa.
0: Thank you.